The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Harry was a 52-year-old man driving home from work one evening. It was cold and dark and rainy. He ran out of gas but was able to coast to the side of the road. After walking to a nearby gas station, as he was pouring gas into his gas tank, a car skidded into him and wedged him between the two cars. It was a miracle neither car exploded. He survived the impact, but barely. His brain was spared, but his body suffered massive injuries. He spent months in the intensive care unit of a local hospital I learned a lot about Harry during that time. I learned about his unwavering faith and hope during some of his life's most difficult times. I saw his family's love and dedication and their faith in the midst of his horrific injuries. They shared that Harry loved life and lived as if each day could be his last. He was kind and generous and never failed to tell his family and friends how much he loved them. They told me that he had often said that he was not afraid to die, and he truly meant that, for he was certain that he would have life in heaven, and he knew that he would be united with Jesus and with those that he loved. Be prepared was one of his life's goals, even though in this circumstance that eventually took his life, his family seemed prepared 
in every sense of the word, even in the midst of their profound grief over his impending earthly death. Then there was Lorna, a cigarette smoker for over 40 years with severe breathing problems. She was in and out of the hospital, often each time a little sicker than she was the time before. As she became sicker, she also became angrier. Angry at God, angry at the medical system, angry at the tobacco companies, and pretty much angry with any and everyone. She had alienated her family and friends when, and because of her behavior. And when she required care in the hospital, it was better for her and for the caregiver to go in and do what was necessary quickly and efficiently and then leave. No questions, no conversation, until, until early one morning while I was taking her 4 a.m. vital signs in her raspy voice, she asked, am I dying? At that moment, I was not sure if I should run or respond to her question. But for the next hour, she told me that she wanted to die, and the sooner, the better. She wanted no more care, no more medication, and she did not need God. She had never had any use for God, and she never would. She had always done what she wanted to do and would continue to do so until she literally drew her last breath. And she was insistent that she die alone. Many of you are aware that I was a registered nurse prior to pastoral ministry. And these are only two examples of what I learned during some of my time there. It was always intriguing when working in an intensive care unit or a palliative care setting as people and their families faced their own mortality or their loved one's mortality. I have witnessed many times what it looks like for people whose faith is deep and wide when they face serious illness and death and then experience people facing the same circumstances who have no faith. Our psalm this morning reveals two different pictures of the lives of people. In this psalm, we are given the image of life as a journey with two distinct paths. One path is the way of righteousness that leads to life. The other path is the way of the wicked 
that leads to death. When we hear the word righteous, oftentimes we mistakenly think of self-righteous people who exude attitudes of intolerance or overconfidence, moral superiority, arrogance. Yet in this psalm, we learn that righteous people are devoted to God's instruction. They live and interact rightly with people who may be different or whose lives they cannot fully comprehend. Our psalm tells us that righteous people are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. Imagine with me a beautiful, healthy tree planted by a stream of water. And one such example is a river birch tree. And I encourage you to look at the photograph on the front of your bulletin of those river birch trees. They are known as a tree for all seasons, and they have beautiful spreading limbs and curly bark that you can't quite see on that photograph, but it is actually very pretty as those layers unfold. In the fall, they turn a beautiful yellow leaf. They grow naturally along riverbanks, but are adaptable even in cities and in our yards, and they are heat tolerant. They anchor the soil and prevent erosion. And as you can see on that photograph, they bend toward the water as the water has crafted its, its way among them. River birch trees provide seeds for songbirds and hummingbirds drink their sap. Their wood is moderately strong and has been used to make furniture and toys. And for those who are old enough to remember, it was often the wood of river birch trees that made artificial limbs. When we face the difficulties of life, who wouldn't want to be stable as a tree, able to continue to fulfill our God-given purposes as we adapt to the conditions and circumstances that surround us? In the context of the psalm, the wicked are people who by their own choice separate themselves from God. They actively oppose God's will and refuse to follow God's instruction. They are on a different path. They create their own moral code, and they do what is right in their own eyes. The psalmist gives us another image of nature and says the wicked are like chaff blown away by the wind. 
perhaps this is an unknown concept for some of you, so I will describe briefly how this happens. When wheat is harvested, it is done in a threshing room where the worker breaks the wheat and the good grain is separated from the useless straw or chaff for the purpose of collecting only the most valuable part. And after the wheat is crushed, it is thrown into the air and the chaff is so light, the husk of the wheat, it is carried away by even the gentlest of breezes and the good grain falls back to the earth. So with these two comparisons and contrast, we have heard about the righteous and the wicked and how different they are in how they think and behave and to whom they belong. These two descriptions contrast the difference it makes to live a life rooted in God's love and God's word or to follow one's own path unconnected from the source of life. This is more than just a one-time decision as to which path we follow. Righteous people can, and many, maybe all, do stumble off the path that they follow. The world we live in today can easily distract us. We can get out of the habit of coming to church or to studying God's word. Our work, our possessions, our media devices can divert our attention quickly and subtly. There is nothing wrong with any of these things unless they keep you from doing what is necessary to stay connected to God and to God's word. When you stumble, when you fail to do what you know is right, or when you question God or God's ways, allow God to help you find your way again. How can we be more closely connected, or how can we reconnect to God amidst the demands of life? Verse 2 tells us how. They delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. The book of Psalms are people's honest words to God, covering a range of emotions. Later this fall, we will begin strengthening our faith and deepening our relationship with God as we sink our roots deeper into this book of wisdom. Be prepared, says Harry. Over the next few weeks, dwell in the Psalms in preparation for what you will hear. Consider reading one a day. Think deeply about what you read. 
Allow it to guide your life and your faith. Seek out opportunities here at church and online to become better informed, guided, comforted, and come to know God and God's promises. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And more than any other book in the Bible, wrote Philip Yancey, Psalms reveals what a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with God looks like. Root your life in God's Word. And when you do, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water, growing, thriving, and given strength to stand strong in good times as well as in times of crisis. For this and so much more, we say, thanks be to God. Amen.